welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Go ahead and take our Bibles. Acts chapter 24 is where we are. What I read to you a second ago um, is the end of Acts chapter 24. We're going to kind of consider the whole passage in a way, but but really we're going to consider one verse. The particular verse we'll end up focusing on, um, this will be... Uh, um, easy to remember. Acts chapter 24, verse 24 and 25. So Acts chapter 24. So what's going on uh, in this passage is Paul is making uh, his way to Rome in quite a dramatic way. You remember that we saw last week that uh, as the, the Jews are about to, uh, they, they want to take him out. Uh, they want to flog him. They want to, want to kill him um, because he's preaching Christ in the hope of the resurrection. And Paul has a moment of clarity, and he reminds them that he is a Roman citizen. And so uh, that puts him kind of into a, a different system, that he must have a hearing by the Roman official. So it saves his life there uh, for a moment. But they keep Paul in jail, and if you remember at the end of chapter 23, I mentioned it last week, but let me remind you of it, is that Paul's in prison, and some Jewish leaders, uh, they take a vow that they will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. We don't know a whole lot about Paul's family, but we know he has a nephew, so he must have a sister. And, and his nephew, the Bible tells us, sniffs out this plan. And realizes that there's this plan going on. So he goes to Paul. He meets with him in prison. And then, then his nephew tells the officials what's going on. And so Paul, as his nephew kind of sniffs out this plot, they then escort him out of Jerusalem under the cover of night and the protection of an army. And now he is before Felix, the governor of Caesarea. It tells us a few things that he is let out not just because his nephew sniffed this out or because the army let him out. Paul found his way outside of Jerusalem because God had promised it. God had promised Paul that he would preach the gospel in Rome. And if God promises it, it's going to happen. And so God uses all of these unexpected means to accomplish his intended purposes. God brings about the reality of his promises in often these unexpected ways. Can you testify to that this morning? That if you look back over the course of your life, you did not think God was up to something. But when you look at all of the, all of the unexpected means that God has brought you to this point, you realize God's hand was in it all. The very fact that you're still alive today is because God's not done with you yet. The very reason Paul is still alive is because God's not done with him yet, and he will get him to Rome. God doesn't make mistakes. He has you somewhere because he has plans for you in that place. For Paul, he was now a prisoner of Rome, and, and God had a plan for Paul in those Roman prisons. In fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, that the whole imperial guard heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason the Roman Imperial Guard heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ was because God had him there for that very purpose. So Paul is now in Caesarea. God has him there for a purpose. God has you here in River Ridge for a purpose. And the false charges against him come to the court of Governor Felix. 
And the Jews come down to Caesarea, and we have much of a repeat that they rehash what they accuse them of. They, they accuse them of defiling the temple. They, they accuse them of preaching this resurrection of the dead. So it's same old story, same old song and dance. And Felix decides that he's not going to deal with it now. He's going to have these private meetings with Paul, but he is not going to offer a verdict at this point. And as we will see as we work our way through Acts, that Paul ends up making it to Rome. But for now, I want us to turn to Felix. Felix the governor. This who is where, where all these unexpected means, this is where Paul finds himself this morning. Felix knows a lot about the Jewish religion. And he has, it says here, do you see it in verse 22? He had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. This is what they called, Christianity was called the way. He had a very accurate knowledge of the way, but he put them off, meaning the trial that uh, these Jews were were bringing him through. He put the verdict off for now, but they're going to keep him in custody, uh, saying when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, then I will decide your case. So he knows something about Felix, that he was well acquainted with the way. He was well acquainted with followers of Jesus Christ. And perhaps this is also because his wife, was Jewish. And so, and so while Felix knows about Judaism and, and he knows about the way, he apparently is not a follower of God. It, it's true that you can be very knowledgeable about Christianity. You can be very knowledgeable about the way. You can be very knowledgeable about religion, but be lost. Felix is now with his third wife. We see her mentioned here. Her name is Drusilla, who was Jewish. Drusilla, according to some historians, was supposed to be a raving beauty. And when she was still only 16, some historians tell us that Felix, with the help of of a magician, persuaded Drusilla, his current wife, to leave her husband and to come to be his wife, promising every, a play on his name, all of the felicity if she would only become her, his wife. And so their relationship was a mess and immoral from the very beginning, Felix and Drusilla. Drusilla was some 19-year-old or so at this time. She was one of the three daughters of Herod Agrippa I. You maybe remember him. Herod Agrippa I, her father murdered James. The murder is recorded in the book of Acts. Her uncle, Herod Antipas, slew John the Baptist for a similar reason. When John the Baptist called Herod out for his relationship that was immoral, he had him killed. So this is her family line. This is what she knows of her family history. Her great-grandfather was Herod the Great. He was the one who had all the babies in Bethlehem killed when Jesus was born, trying to take Jesus out. So you can see that she comes from a long line of Christ haters. But in God's providence, God doesn't make mistakes. Even in these unexpected ways, and these unexpected means, he's accomplishing his intended purposes. So, so, so God brings Paul before this couple, Felix and Drusilla. In God's providence, Paul's life led to moments like these. And Felix and Drusilla want a personal hearing with Paul. What would you tell them in that moment? Now understand this, if you understand a little bit about their current relationship, 
if you understand a little bit about their family history and where they're coming from, what would you tell them in the moment? What would you tell if you were in Paul's place, understanding where he is in his life? He has an opportunity at this moment to perhaps get himself out of this. And to get himself out of these Roman prisms, if he could somehow promote himself, maybe there's a way that he can find himself and preach something about himself in order to make himself look good so that maybe he can, as they led him out at night from Jerusalem, maybe he can get out of this prison cell. Maybe Paul can reiterate how he is innocent of all these false charges. Maybe he could present the gospel to them in a very user-friendly way and not tell Felix that your religion does not equal righteousness, that you still stand condemned before a holy God. Maybe he would not tell Felix that you need to stop living this self-satisfying life and and live a life that is honoring to God that is self-controlled through the help of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he could uh, gloss over the final judgment and not tell Felix where he is heading if he doesn't repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Maybe he could tell them all of those things. If you were Paul and you were summoned to Felix and you know what it might cost you if you told him something that he might not like, what would you have said? Spurgeon, when he was talking about this, he said, put Paul where you may. He seems to be like John Bunyan who said, if you let me out of prison today, I'll preach the gospel again tomorrow by the grace of God. Spurgeon goes on to say, nay, more than that, Paul preached it in prison before his judges he proclaimed. The very people that held his life in their, law, in their hands, he preached the gospel to him. Do you notice what it says here that Paul, as he has this private hearing, look at verse 23. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So he's not in total lockdown. Have your friends come and help take care of you as they would in prison at that time. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. You understand that now, right? Who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak. What's Paul going to speak about? What would you speak about? Here's what Paul speaks about. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted the Roman guards to know. That's what he wanted the one who held the life in his hands, at least his momentary life, his worldly life in his hands. I want you to know about trusting Jesus. I want you to know the goodness of life in Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. God is making his appeal through me. And so I'm going to plead with you on Christ's behalf. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, I'm going to plead, be reconciled to God. You're the one that needs to be reconciled, Felix. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you the glories of trusting Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell Felix and Trusilla, you need Jesus like I need Jesus. Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, and I am telling you about that resurrected Christ today. And so that's what Paul tells Felix and Trusilla about faith in Jesus Christ. That we need Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus for what? Here are the three points this morning. Paul gives us those three points, and we're just going to go through those. Verse 25. So he tells them about faith in Jesus Christ. 
He reasoned, verse 25, about, here's it is, trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ for what? For righteousness. Trust in Jesus Christ for what? Self-control. Like he, he has one shot at the gospel, and what are the three things he's going to talk about? Righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. Here's Paul's three-point sermon about faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the sermon that I hope will encourage us this morning and challenge us this morning. Point number one, trust in Jesus Christ for righteousness. Righteousness, the demands of the law must be met if we are to have right standing before God. Righteousness is a status that we need to stand before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that righteousness doesn't come by being religious or being knowledgeable about the way. That's not how righteousness comes. Righteousness is a status that is given to us. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, Felix, let me tell you this. The way that you can have a right standing before God. And so imagine a governor. Imagine a guy that has everything that he could possibly want. Looking at him and saying, Felix, you are missing this and you cannot earn this yourself. No power in this world, no performance in this world, no amount of merit in this world can earn this, Felix. You cannot buy this with your money. This is a gift that must be given to you. How many people have a hard time receiving a gift that you can never afford for yourself? It's hard. So he tells us to Felix about faith in Jesus Christ, that righteousness is a status that must be given to us. How can a sinful man justly stand before God? And Paul's position is clear throughout the rest of his letters. That he cannot stand before God on his own. And so the Jews of the first century, much like Drusilla would have grown up under, had inherited a teaching of self-justification through adherence to the law. And for several hundred years of rabbinical scholars taught the Jewish population that they could acquire merit in God's eyes by certain works of righteousness. They had essentially established a scale of righteous and unrighteous, merit and demerits. If the merit would outweigh the demerits, then you would be good. Then you would have a right standing before God if you could just do it, if you could just perform it. Then God would show mercy and accept you into his presence. And as you know, this may be not may not be far thinking for most people of our own day. Most people in our own day might view their standing with God based on the positive addition of merit by good works outweighing their demerits. And normally we have a very high and elevated view of our merit. We cannot even begin to fathom that they think we have enough flaws to sink us and have us not have a right standing before our God. Paul looks at Felix and he challenges us this morning, trust in Jesus. You could never stand before a righteous and holy God because you you have sinned against God and the wages of sin is death. And you have sinned against an infinitely holy God deserving infinite punishment. But have faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ for your knowledge, Felix. Trust in Christ for your righteousness, Drusilla. Trust in Christ for your righteousness, 
people of River Ridge and people of Riverside because what God demands, he provides. Listen to that again. What God's, he demands righteousness and what he demands, he provides. Because God is merciful and gracious and loving, he provided the means to satisfy his own righteousness and at the same time declaring undeserving sinners to be not guilty for all eternity. The demands of the law, hear this, this is the gospel, the demands of the law are met only by Jesus and only received through Jesus and it's only in Christ that you can be forgiven. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that, we, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our sin was imputed to him at the cross and as a result by faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed and transferred to us. The things that we have done are placed on Christ and the blessings that he has earned on the cross are given to us. The sinless Son of God took on the weight of your sin and guilt for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. He stood between us and the full measure of the divine wrath of our mediator. And all that the judge of the universe requires for you to have a right standing before him, he has provided in Jesus Christ. And all who trust in him, it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Felix, don't you hear it? Brothers and sisters, don't you hear it? Are you trusting Christ? This Christian, be comforted with this. Because maybe you've walked through this week or walked through this month or year, and you're like, man, I've, I've blown it. And maybe you've done some things that are not honoring to the Lord. I don't know where you've been or what you've done or what you've said or I don't know. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, here's how we ought to speak. I admit, I do deserve death and hell. And look at the devil and say, what of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Brothers and sisters, if you have trusted In Jesus Christ, for your righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. And so when the evil one throws your sin in your face, you claim Christ. He is enough. So if you're part of the way, you've trusted Jesus for your righteousness, you are justified by him, brother and sister. Rest in Jesus this morning. Rest in his righteousness Your ways didn't save you, and your ways and works are not keeping you saved. It's grace all the way down. Praise Jesus for his grace. Amen? Amen. Trust in Jesus for his righteousness. Number two, trust in Jesus for self-control. 
if the first part of this, trust in Jesus for your righteousness, is a bit of justification, how are we justified by the Holy God? Here's perhaps this growing in sanctification. Those who are justified by faith live by faith. We live by a faith and, and live by the righteousness that have been earned for us in Christ Jesus. So he looks at Felix, and Felix is one who probably doesn't know a whole lot about self-control. Felix went with a magician to this other place and got a wife for himself just because he thought she was beautiful. Felix was probably not wanting for anything and had no idea about self-control. But Paul thought it so important that he would even mention this at the end of the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Perhaps being, as some would say, the key to it all of of love and and self-control to That self-control is huge for our walk with Christ and living by the Spirit. So trust in Jesus for self-control. God not only, listen to this good, God only not forgives us of our sin and makes us righteous in Jesus Christ. He not only forgives us, but he also frees us from the power of sin. So we're freed from the penalty of sin because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now Paul tells Felix, not only can you be freed from the penalty of sin, which by the way, Felix, you are a sinner. That's the bad news. The good news is what Christ has done. You can be freed from the penalty of sin. Now, Felix, you can walk being freed from the power of sin. And this is so essential to the Christian living that Paul made it part of his one-time sermon to Felix It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is even part of being a qualification for an elder, an overseer, a pastor in the church. One of the things that we must be is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Titus tells us that in Titus, we'll learn about that in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. And self-control, this is about self-denial. It's about not doing what God does not want us to do, that if anyone wishes to come after him, if anyone wishes to walk in the way, he must, what, deny himself and take up the cross and follow Christ. The Bible tells us that we are expected to put away sin for our life. You've been free from the penalty of sin. Now you're free from the power of sin. You do not have to walk in sin any longer. We must, we hear in 1 Peter chapter 4, live the rest of our time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men. And we must also realize that this self-denial is not just some sort of willpower or discipline. It's the work of Christ in you. If if you truly have the Spirit, then self-control is at work in you. This is doing what Christ has called you to do. Christ has set you free. Now Christ is at work in you by the power of the Spirit that you have been given. The call to self-control is not a call to bondage. It's a call to freedom. It's a call to a whole new way of life. This doesn't mean we have a freedom to sin, but a, a freedom from sin to not walk in sin. You don't have to live in sin any longer. And self-control. It's the ability to pursue, listen to this, the importance over the urgent. By the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to always be impulsive or uncontrolled. 
And self-control is not merely saying no, it is self-denial. It's trusting the promises of God, saying, yes, he loves me. Yes, he satisfies me, that even if it's costly, I will walk in the way of the Lord. I will not be impulsive. I will not be uncontrolled through the power of the Spirit in me, because I know my God provides everything that I need. So by the power of the Spirit, Felix, people at Riverside, you can pursue the important over the urgent. And now you know that even when Paul brings up the fruit of the Spirit and mentions self-control, before that he lists several things. And even for Felix at this moment, the one who probably holds his life and with earthly life in his hands to Paul at this point, it's quite surprising he speaks to this man about self-control because when you bring about self-control, you can get to meddling a bit, can't you? Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The unself-controlled person is completely defenseless. Paul mentioned several things we can be unself, we can not be self-controlled about. Things like the God be, God being our belly, drunkenness, sensual passions. Sexual uncleanness, anger. God told Cain to to master the monster within you. Are you uncontrolled in your anger? Perhaps you're uncontrolled in your spending. This is not the way of the Lord. We live in a time that covetousness or desire can be met at any moment. You can have something shipped to you by Amazon in the time I finish this sentence if you want it enough. And then we find ourselves in endless debt because we can't tell ourselves no. We can't deny ourselves. God cares about all of this. Paul wants Felix and us to know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not an optional thing. That if we are walking in sanctification and walking in His righteousness, he even says, James ends up going on to say, that we must be self-controlled with our tongue. James says that this is perhaps the key to all other control and the key to everything. If you can control your tongue, James 1.27 says, and in gossip and profanity and meanness, if you are uncontrolled with your tongue, you are like a man without walls to protect yourself. You will be exploited by the evil one. The evil one would love to run with your tongue and spread gossip and all sorts of seeds of discord. So much so that Paul says that, doesn't, that makes you unqualified for ministry. Be self-controlled. Maybe it's our minds not having every thought captive by the Word of God. Maybe it's the use of our time. Paul says, redeem the time for the days are evil. Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps it's obsessive binge watching or maybe it's that we have a bunch of gadgets that become our idols and now we can't experience control over our very time because certain devices and things control everything that we have. And so we're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, but a control under our own, of our own passions and desires and things of this world. A bit offensive, yes? And Paul says, trust in Jesus for your righteousness. 
have faith in Christ. He reasons with him about righteousness. He reasons with him about self-control. And, and please know it's not by might, not power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When we really see and believe that God is for us and not against us, the power of wrong desires is broken. And so to fight the fight for self-control is to fight a fight of faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And so you can imagine for us and for Felix, it's a bit offensive. How would you respond? Felix, you are unrighteous. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Felix, you have no self-control, so this, the Spirit's not at work. You know about the way. You're religious. You don't have the Spirit in you because, Felix, you have no self-control. Point number three, final point. If Felix is not offended yet, <laughs> he speaks of the coming judgment. So finally, Phoenix, Felix, excuse me, Felix, righteousness matters. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Felix, self-control matters, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. And Felix, by the way, all of this matters because future judgment is coming. One day you will have to stand, Felix, before a holy God and give account for your life. And by the way, that's every one of us. It's appointed for a man to die once and then comes, comes judgment. There's a judgment to come. And this is about our accountability before God. How will you stand before a holy God? How will you stand righteous before a holy God? It's a lot to think about. What will you plea? Will you plea your knowledge of the way? Will you plea what you have done with me, Paul? Because you didn't condemn me, but you let me stay in jail. You didn't have me killed. Is that your plea? Is your performance your plea? Or is your plea Christ alone? And so for the believer, you have Jesus. And Jesus has you. You are secure in the arms of Christ. The song we just said, one of my favorite songs right now. Jesus says that when we thirst, we come to him. Jesus says when we fear, when we come to him. Jesus says we, when we were lost, he comes to us and he has proven that on the cross of Jesus Christ. Believer, know this. That you have Christ. That even in your moments of not being self-controlled, even where you think you have blown it, your standing before God is Secure, because your righteousness does not depend upon the law or the works of the flesh, but your righteousness depends upon the work of Christ, and he has conquered sin and death. The record of your debt has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And you will stand secure in the coming judgment. Because you have learned that you will not plea your own merit, you will not plea your own resume, you will plea Christ and Christ alone, and you will stand in the judgment, just as the people in the days of the Exodus, they escaped Egypt, not because of their merit, because we find out they're a bunch of unself-controlled, complaining people. They went out because the blood of the Lamb spoke a better word. And the blood of Christ speaks a better word. Believer, take comfort. Run to Jesus now.
for the unbeliever. Let the offense drive you to Jesus. Don't let the defense drive you away. And don't procrastinate another day. Look at how Felix responded, as you can imagine. Felix was alarmed. <laughs> you know, unrighteous. What? Felix was alarmed. This prisoner is telling me this? And said, go away for the present. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. He had hoped that Paul would try to buy him off. But Paul knew he was going to Rome to preach the gospel, so for that, Paul would not stop preaching the gospel. So don't be Felix. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait another day. Don't somehow keep hoping that you will buy your way out of it. Don't try to, try to, try to find that perhaps you will earn your righteousness or it's not a big, or whatever it might be. Judgment is coming. Felix trembled before the truth. The Spirit of God convicted his heart. He was alarmed, but conviction was not enough. He was at a point of decision, and Felix said, I'll wait another day. And so, believer, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He is yours, and he will embrace you in his arms. Unbeliever, run to Jesus, and he will forgive you of your sins. Run to Jesus. He will fill you with his spirit and produce that fruit of self-control in you. Run to Jesus and you will stand firm in the judgment because you will be covered with the blood of Jesus. Wherever you are this morning, I think the message is simple. Run to Jesus. Let's pray.